just want to say I heard the uh, CD for last Sunday when Daniel spoke and shared and some of the saints shared. That was so rich. It was so rich. It's on the website now if you weren't here last Sunday to hear what Daniel shared and what the different saints shared. I was trying to figure out who they were, listen to the voices. And of course, I could tell Russ easily, you know, but, um, but uh, Laura Lee, Ken's mom, shared so well. And I think, yeah, you were, that, was, that was awesome what you shared about, you know, how grace is really. Tell me your first name again. Carlene. 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 Yeah, that was awesome about the, uh, what, you know, what you've come out of in different churches and what you're learning and stuff. It's so cool. That was so cool. Everybody just spoke so well. It was just so cool and crisp and, and uh, clear, I guess is a better word, in thought. It's very cool. So well, let's just jump into it. I, I want to share some thoughts this morning about the three crosses. When, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified, the scripture says, between two thieves or two robbers. There is a wealth of revelation, a wealth of revelation in that last scene. And I want to just share some thoughts about what happened in that last scene when Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And um, it's really important. It's, it's an event that's recorded in all four Gospels. And anytime the witnesses repeat something four times in all four Gospels, God wants us to see something, hear something. So let's, let's look at that this morning and, um, and let's pray that the Lord would open our eyes to that event and what happened in the last few hours before Jesus breathed his last on earth, the scripture says, as a, as a man prior to his resurrection. And let's see what God would show us about what happened there. It's really, it's, it's life-changing what God, the picture he painted for us to see. Lord, we thank you so much that we, we really know that we cannot grasp heavenly realities or spiritual things without the help of the spirit we know lord we can't just go to the scriptures and and read them like any other book trusting in our own intellect or trusting in our own wisdom our own reasoning to figure out what you're really trying to say the scripture says who can know the thoughts of god but the spirit of god And the Spirit is given that we might know the things of God, the thoughts of God, the things that are freely given to us in God. So, Lord, we just ask right now that we would come to you in this incredible place of rest, the rest that you have provided by your work, a place of joy, joy unspeakable, a place of rest and joy, a place of safety, a place of dependence listening for your voice that we might hear your voice and hear you speak to each one of us this morning the thought you want us to hear and to think about and to receive break bread for us Lord break bread let us eat of that which is eternal in Jesus name Amen cool one of these days we're going to have a, hey Rob, hey, one of these days, hey Rob, the other Rob, <laughs> not that I'm more excited to see him than you, but good to see you bud. 
That's the brother of Rob. That's Rob, son of Rob. Cool. One of these days we're going to have a, I was going to say, one of these days we're going to have a, a building, the Lord willing, where we can not have the noise and all, yeah. but, but think about what people did through all ages. They, they put up with all kinds of stuff. <laughs> we can put up with it. Okay, like we said, the, the, uh, the scene of, of Jesus being crucified between two men, two thieves, the scripture referred to them as, is recorded in all four Gospels. It's a very important event. In the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, let's turn there if you would, chapter 23, the Gospel of Luke, is the passage that says more about what happened with these two thieves than any other Gospel, but they all four mention it. Luke chapter 23 Let's start with, let's see, Luke chapter 23. Let's just start with 32. Chapter 23 of Luke, verse 32. Now I'm praying the Spirit of God will bring us to that place. This actually happened in history in a moment. And I think the Spirit can, that's why the Gospels are written this way. You notice the Gospels are not written like a systematic theological systematic theology book it's not written like men write theology it's not written in chapters like okay we're going to talk about god we're going to talk about angels we're going to talk about faith we're going to talk about grace we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about that it's not a topical kind of book and the reason why is because it's written by the holy spirit and the spirit of god is revealing what jesus did and, and they're, they, they're eyewitnesses of him and what he said and what he did because if you can see him you can see life it's all about Him. See, it's not a concept. It's not a doctrine. It's not a topic. It's a person. It's Jesus Himself, the man, Christ Jesus. And that's why these Gospels are written this way. So the Spirit can bring us back so we can see what they saw, witnesses. It's a very unusual book, to say the least. The understatement of the century of the universe. But this book is not like any other book. You read this, depending on the Spirit of God... And God will take you there. God will show you. God will fill in the blanks by the Spirit of God. You'll see things that were not written down. It doesn't contradict the Scripture. I'm not saying that. But He will fill it up where you see Him sitting on those hills speaking to the multitudes. You'll see it by the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about visions and dreams. I'm talking about just in your heart. It'll just open up inside of you. It's made that way. It's awesome. So, let's let the Spirit bring us there as we see this scene. This is not just words on a page this is spiritual okay let's chapter 23 of luke verse 32 two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him when they came to the place called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right and the other on the left but jesus was saying father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. 
And the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him. It read, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, which is 3 p.m. Roman time. And darkness, I'm sorry, 12 noon. That's 12 noon Roman time, sixth hour. And darkness fell all over the whole land until the ninth hour. From 12 noon until 3 p.m., a strange darkness fell upon the whole land. It was not an eclipse of the moon because an eclipse doesn't take three hours. This was supernatural darkness that came Upon the land. Because the sun was obscured. By a power that they didn't understand. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said. Father. Into your hands. I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. That Roman centurion had seen many, many criminals die. He had never seen one die like this. Praying for the forgiveness of his accusers, not answering back to those who were mocking him, and giving one next to him encouragement as he died. That Roman centurion said, Surely this man is innocent. Somebody made a huge mistake. But it wasn't a mistake. No man takes his life from him. He lays it willingly down himself. This scene is so rich. It's like God painted this picture of two thieves being crucified with Christ. To teach us so much and to hear what they said and to hear what Jesus said. I think sometimes we think that 
when I when I hear what's taught in in uh, Christendom around the world and radio and TV, I think sometimes you get you come across with the with the idea that God's heart is to um, is to have servants. God wants us to serve Him. Clark mentioned that a while back that uh, God didn't save you just to serve Him. Um, yes, serving is a part of it. It's a byproduct of this relationship, but that's not why He saved us. He didn't make Adam so He could serve Him in the garden. So that's huge right there. That is huge. We, we really have to realize that the heart of God is not to have sons and daughters so they can serve Him. In fact, Jesus was very clear about that. He said, I don't call you slaves or servants. I call you friends. You're my friend. You're my son. A servant doesn't know what his father's business is all about, but the son knows all about his father's business. The servants are outside the household. The son is in the household. Servants don't abide forever. They come and go, but the son abides forever. And you're a son. So... The heart of God is not to have servants. I love that verse in the Old Testament where it says, The day will come, the day will come, Israel, when you will no longer call me Lord, 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 but you will call me Ishi, you'll call me husband. You'll no longer call me Lord, you'll call me husband. Not that we don't call him Lord, of course, he is Lord, he's Lord, and we call him Lord, and we say Lord. But what he's saying there, the heart of God is saying there, I don't want servants, I don't want slaves, I want a wife. The day will come when you're going to see my heart and you're going to say, you know, it's not going to be all about Lord, Lord. It's going to be husband, oh, my husband, oh, my bridegroom. So it's a husband-wife relationship. Paul brings that out in the letters, a bridegroom and a bride. And what's the last pages of the book of Revelation, the final unveiling of all things? What do you see? Behold, I show you the Lamb's wife. I show you the Lamb's wife coming out of heaven. We now seated with Him in heavenly places. Coming out of heaven, having the glory of God. Without spot, without wrinkle. Which, by the way, He accomplished on this day when we see Him being crucified. We're not waiting to be made without spot and without wrinkle. But Ephesians says... That the word of this message of grace, this, this finished work washes us. Washed by the word or the message that Jesus took my sin upon himself and gave me his righteousness. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. He became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Washing his bride that she may have no spot, no wrinkle or any such thing that he may join himself to her. I know this mystery is great, Paul says, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. I know it's great, but I'm speaking of Christ in the church for a man shall leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. Even so, Christ has done it. We leave our mother and father. We leave the Adamic race. We leave where we're from. And we join ourselves to the risen Christ. He our head. We his body. He our bridegroom. We his bride. One.
Not something waiting to happen, but something that is now. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ inside of me. Jesus said after his resurrection, he talked to his disciples and he said, after three days, after a little while, you'll know. When you see me again, you'll know that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father and now I'm in you and you are in me. One. One. So his heart is for a bride, for a wife. Who marries a woman so that she can serve him? Probably some people do. And in some cultures, it's worse than other cultures. But, but that's not God. That's fallen man. Has lost sight of the romance and the glory of marriage. And the second thing that we hear, I think, a lot preached is, well, the heart of God is to not, not be a servant. We get that, you know, it's more love and romance, but he does want you to be conformed to his image. I mean, that's, God's, that's top on his list, to conform you to the image of Christ. And again, that is a byproduct of the relationship. There's no doubt about it. That's his, he wants us to be like him because to be like him is to be the best. It's to be free. It's to be full of his love. It's to be full of his kindness. It's to be like him. It's, but that, saints, is also not the pinnacle. Who marries a woman that, so she can make her like him? Or who marries to fix somebody? You marry because you're in love with that person, just as they are. And they gradually become to take on your likeness because you hang out so much together, being married and all. But that's not the, the reason you marry. You don't marry because you want to fix them or make them like you. Or We see on, in this scene of the two thieves, we see the heart of God. And he's already said it before in John, in his uh, John 17, what we call the high priestly prayer, the last prayer, where to me is the highest, highest prayer. John 17, I could read that, you could read that every day. Just that's when he's all alone with the father and he's about to go to the cross and he's praying his heart and the father's heart. And in John 17, he says, Father, I want them to be where I am. I want them to be where I am. And before that in John, he said to them, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And that's not Contrary to what's been taught in Christendom, that is not talking about the second coming. That's talking about, in context, he says, after a little while, after three days, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to have the preparation done. I'm going to do a work where you can always be where I am. He said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places, not mansions, as quoted in the King James. It's the Greek word, dwelling places, translated in every other place, dwelling places. 
In the 16th century, they translated it mansions to give the, the poor and the peasants hope of the afterlife. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying a dwelling place in the Father's house. And he said that he was the Father's house. He said, destroy this house and I'll raise it up in three days. Twice in the Gospels, twice they bring up that he claimed to be able to raise the temple three days. Twice. What, what is God saying? Remember this. Twice it was thrown at his face. You said you could raise the temple in three days. Why can't you save yourself? What is God saying? The house was before them and they didn't know it. The house was about to be raised in three days and they didn't know it. And there were many dwelling places in that house that you might be where he is. And Paul takes up that same banter and he says, that same banner and he says, For you have now become living stones in a new house, the real house, a living stone made a a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. He has raised you up. He has raised us up because he wants you to be where he is. So what you see in in that scene is the heart of God being expressed when one thief says save us save yourself and save us because that person didn't realize he didn't see his need of a savior the other thief saw his need of a savior and said we are here justly we deserve condemnation one day I was reading the the, uh, gospel of John and the, the phrase in the gospel of John that refers to this scene says And the two thieves were crucified with him. And man, when I read that phrase, the two thieves were crucified with him. 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 I was laying on the bed reading the scripture, and I got up and went, crucified with him. Oh my God. I saw that the reason why God had two men crucified with him at the very moment he was being crucified, because I used to think that was, God, why did you have to do it that way? That kind of takes away the focus from Jesus. I mean, if I was me, I wouldn't have two thieves up there. I mean, if it was me, I, was, I actually argued with God about that. I said, if it, if it was me, I wouldn't have had two, these two thieves up there. Make it focus. Just Jesus only. Why, why have two other men up there making it three? That dilutes everything, you know? But no... God painted this picture. It's a picture of the entire human race. He was crucified for the believer and for the unbeliever. He died for all men. The Father is saying here, He was crucified for all. Those who would believe on Him and those who would not. He tasted death for every man. There is no limited atonement. He died not for our sins only, John says, but for the sins of the whole world. And the Father painted this awesome picture. If there was such a thing as a limited atonement, there had been one thief and one believer. There were two thieves and only one believer. Crucified with Christ. 
awesome truth right there that we can see if we can see the picture that the Father has painted. Crucified with Him. Tasted death for both those thieves because it was happening at the same time. A picture of Him being crucified for them and they being crucified with Him. Yet one He died in vain for and the other He did not. As He wept over Jerusalem and in the Greek there when it says Jesus wept In the Greek there, the actual Greek word is he sobbed uncontrollably. As he was sobbing uncontrollably, looking at Jerusalem, he said, How often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks and protects them. I would have, but you would not. Weeping uncontrollably, he says to Jerusalem, I would have, but you would not. Only a remnant would believe from his own people. He died for everyone. And that does not make God weak. It reveals what true love is. And so here's this thief that says, Remember me. And that's all he says is remember me. You know, that's the cry of, of all of us, really. You know, life is short. Even on the natural level, we pray that, you know, even though if we don't even verbalize it, we think, I hope our, my children remember me after I'm gone. You know, people, people build monuments to themselves and build buildings because they want to be remembered. Highways are named after people because they want to be remembered. That's the cry of our heart. You know, we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be forgotten. We want to be remembered. And you know, this saints, that was the cry of everybody in Sheol. Remember me, Lord. Do you realize Jesus was the first man to ever go to heaven? That's awesome. Jesus was the first man to ever go to heaven. He said that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. No man has ever ascended into heaven. Chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. No man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who has descended from heaven and who is in heaven. As I speak to you now, I'm in heaven, Nicodemus. I'm in my Father. My Father's in me. That's why you can say now, I'm in heaven. I'm seated with Him in, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. He has has done it. Every man who died, even Elijah and Enoch, who were taken up, they were taken to Sheol. No man, he must have the preeminence in all things. He must be the first. He must have preeminence in all things. He was the first. Even Enoch and even Elijah were taken to Sheol. Moses, Sheol. Abraham, Sheol. David, Sheol. They all went to Sheol. And in Sheol, or in the Hebrew it's called Sheol, but in the Greek it's called paradise. I'm sorry, Hades. In the Hebrew it's called Sheol, but in the Greek it's called Hades. Same place, just Hebrew language, Greek language. Sheol, Hades. In that place, Jesus taught us that there was a great gulf that divided two groups of people. And one area called Abraham's bosom, Or, it's also called paradise, 
The word paradise in the Greek means a garden, an enclosed garden, or a forest. It can be translated a forest. This is like Eden. It's like God moved Eden there. And so every person who died with faith in their heart, because no man ever goes to heaven because of their good deeds. God who knows the heart can see faith in the heart. Romans talks about even the stars and the moons, those who didn't hear the gospel, but they saw the works of God. God who knows the heart. This is, this is cool, but he can know by looking at how you respond, how these people responded without even hearing a gospel yet. Because, believe me, it's not true that the Jews died because they looked forward in faith to the Messiah's work to make them righteous. No. They had no idea that his death would make them righteous. That was the whole point. Faith was not revealed until Jesus came. Faith for righteousness, rather. You see what I'm saying? They did not have it all. They had clues, but they had, they had no idea. That's why most of them rejected him when he came. But they did have faith in God. Faith for provision. Faith for protection. They, they, God, who's able to look at the heart. I tell you, when we stand before God, we're going to say, You are so wise, Lord. Why did I ever doubt about the guy in Africa who didn't hear the gospel? There's going to be people in heaven that you, or not you necessarily, but somebody might say, I'm not going to believe in this God because I'm not going to believe in a God who's going to let all these thousands of millions of people perish in Africa as they hear the gospel. You're going to stand before God one day and say, oh, how stupid. My little sense of justice in me that he gave me is somehow I, is greater than his sense of justice and desire to save all people and more than a billion stars more than my desire to save people and I didn't trust him to do what is right. He who has the power to do right, will he not do right? We can trust him with the unanswered questions. I'm telling you, it's going to be so clear. It's going to be God. Just like they asked Jesus, Peter asked Jesus, what shall this, what shall this man do? What will happen to this man? Speaking of John. And Jesus said, what is that to you, Peter? Follow me. What is that to you, Peter? In the same way people say, what about the people in Africa? What about the people in China? What about the people that, in, the, in the woods? In the, what about people in Guatemala? What is that to you? What is that really to you? You follow me. Trust me with those people. And that's what Peter did. And so... Hades and Sheol, a place carved out in Sheol or Hades called Abraham's bosom or paradise or a garden. That's why he said to the thief, the believer, God didn't see him as a thief. God said to his new believer, today, today, not three days later, he wasn't talking about heaven. He wasn't raised for three days. He wasn't talking about heaven. He had not entered into heaven to offer himself to the Father until the day of resurrection when he told Martha, don't touch me. Or was it Mary? Mary. Mary, don't, yeah, Mary, Mary. He said, Mary. And she recognized his voice. Don't touch me, I'm not yet ascended. So he's not talking about heaven. He's telling the thief, today, you shall be with me in paradise. We're going together. 
Now, notice what he said. He said what he'd been saying all along was the heart of God to that person, that our brother. Our brother on that cross. This is what he said to him. He said, today. And you can underline this. You shall be with me. He, that thief had no time to serve God. He had no opportunity to serve God. He was nailed to a tree. He had no time or opportunity to be conformed to his image. If that was what it was all about, God would not have been that excited about this. Now you're, you're spent. You don't have time to do anything for me. But he didn't. He pushed up on his feet to breathe because, as you know, crucifixion slowly kills you by smothering you. And he pushed up with nails in his feet so he could speak. First time he responded to all the sneering, he never responded to all the sneering and all. He just spoke to his father. And he turned to that thief and he said, truly, he he didn't have to say that. But that's when you want to emphasize something. And he could barely talk at this point. Because the scripture says immediately after, almost after he said this to the thief, that's when he died. They were in this darkness for three hours. And toward the end of this darkness, that's when the thief said, I think the darkness is what kind of really convinced the thief. Because in other passages, both both thieves reviled him in the beginning. Both thieves. Both thieves in the Gospels were yelling at Jesus Jesus to save them and save himself. And there was no no sign that any thief was going to be a believer. But I think the darkness is what changed. Something happened. And just like the centurion, this thief saw, this is, this is serious. This is something. This is God. He is who he says he is. Oh, my God. And then he began to talk to the other thief and say, we deserve this. He has done nothing wrong. And that's when he said, remember me. He didn't even pray the prayer right. <laughs> He didn't walk down the aisle and shake the hand of a preacher. (laughs) This is awesome revelation. God has distilled in this last scene what is important and what only is important. He died for all. And all just need to see their need of a Savior and say, remember me. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And his heart is that he would be with us and us with him. See, in Sheol, they, God was with them in Sheol. It wasn't like they were separated from him. The scripture says, David said, you're everywhere. Your presence is even in Sheol. Your presence is everywhere, Lord. So he was with them. But they were not with him. They were not in his heaven yet. 
But he was with them. He was with them with Abraham's bosom. It was a garden. It was a, they were not suffering down there. It was, it was lavish. It was awesome. They died in faith. They went to a holding place. And the scripture says he descended that he might fill all things. He descended first that then he might ascend that it might fill all things. The scripture says he, came, he went down to take captivity captive. He says, I have the keys of Hades. I have the keys. Imagine the scene, saints, of the Father welcoming his sons and daughters to his own place, to his home. After the first man entered, the son, many sons were brought into glory. The flood from Sheol, he brought them up. The scripture says, many came through the open tombs. The scripture says, the saints, the tombs were opened at his death when the, when the earthquake hit and the veil rent. The earthquakes opened the tombs awaiting the resurrection. And then on the third day, those saints came through the tombs. They some of them actually came and walked into the city and said, he's the one. He's released us from Sheol. He's released us from Hades. And they disappeared in front of their eyes. Family members, grandfathers, uncles and aunts were testifying to their own people. He's the one. And they disappeared. Wow. Imagine the father's awesome love when they flooded. This is goes. Peter says he descended. Peter says he descended to proclaim, to proclaim he did not suffer in hell. The, the atonement did not happen in hell or in Sheol. There was not a hell yet. There is no hell yet. There will be a hell when Sheol shall give up her dead and the lake of fire. There will be a hell, but there's not a hell now. There's not a hell right now. There's a Sheol. And there are spirits, departed spirits that are thirsty and wish they had believed. And in the end of all time, Sheol shall give up her dead and all the books will be opened and the judgment will be given and they will be thrown into that lake of fire. But now you have Abraham's bosom that he descended to to take captivity captive and release them. And the father... The Father's joy and welcoming. Peter says he went down and proclaimed to the spirits in this prison that even died in the flood of Noah. That's Peter. He descended and proclaimed, the scripture says, he proclaimed it is done. To even those who died in the flood. That's in the book of Peter. And so he took... All these who died in faith, they began to, I believe it was awesome. I believe this gap between shield of a desert shield of wandering spirits, bodiless spirits, who now realize how thirsty they always were, but now they see it because they don't have the senses to dull the real thirst. They don't have the body to hide or mask the real water. They have no way to stop the feeling of no water, no life. The senses of the body in this world numb the need for life. And now, separated from their bodies, they're so aware. They see it all. They feel it all. And they're so hopeless. Go and, and touch your finger to my tongue, the scripture says. Go and tell my brothers. And Jesus said, if they believe not... The words of the prophets, they will not believe the one is raised from the dead. And so here's, here's God 
welcoming this flood. Oh, can you imagine? I believe God ran. Jesus tells a parable of the prodigal son. And there's a picture of the father running to his son. I believe he ran. If God, can you imagine God running? You know, can you imagine the constellations moving or something? I don't know. It's like the awesome God running with open arms, welcoming. I, I believe there was a light that came down in Sheol. I believe that they knew it was soon to come. I felt they, I think they sensed it. I think the, the, the great gap was there. I think the, the, as far as the eye could see, the desert was out there with these disembodied spirits who were not in Abraham's bosom. They began to rise up and move toward the edge. As they saw the light, they all looked, they stood on the edge. And then all this beautiful, glorious light came above the garden. And this Abraham's bosom, this beautiful place. And then this awesome glory. And they saw this lone figure descending with glory. And another man with him, the thief, coming down with him. And they came down to this awesome place. And then he proclaimed, I actually... I can't imagine it. Can you imagine it? He took captivity captive. And the glory of it shone about. And I believe it was like a whirlwind. It was like this swim, this swirling fog entered. And this glory, this light in the fog. And then all these were protected and covered by this fog. And then they began to rise with him. And they rose. And there is no time. So they came, they saw, and they left. But it was three days back on earth. There's no time. And so they came and they went through this realm, they left this realm in a tornado of glory. And then the, the, the desert closed over the garden. It died. The, the, the desert entered and all that was there, the beauty of it was dead. And there's no more Abraham's bosom. For now, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. Awesome. And he came through. And he brought him home. Our cloud of witnesses who now say to us, fight the good fight of faith. Trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Today, truly, I say to you, You shall be with me. You know, if we could hear the best music and we've ever heard in our world, if you could hear the best music, if you could see the most glorious mountain, if you could see the most awesome sunrise, if you could feel the water sprinkling your face from a dew, from the rain, if you could sense the glory of the creation that speaks of this awesome God, if you could see this awesome, His heart, He is so happy that you are going to be with Him. The enemy has so lied to us. He made him in the beginning that he might be with him. He walked with him in the cool of the garden, Adam.
Father, I pray, Jesus said, Father, I pray that they would be where I am and that the love whereby you have loved me, you might love them with the same love, that they may know that the same love you love me with, you love them with, that that love may be in them and I in them. The sky began to clear. The darkness was going away. The Christ had already given up his spirit. They broke the legs of the two thieves that they would suffer and suffocate and die. Now all three were dead. And on earth, a lot of questions. Why the earthquake? Why the darkness? Why the veil in the temple rent? Why the tombs opened? Why? What just happened here? What just happened here? You hear the drums? You hear the drums? God is mighty. God is mighty. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our bridegroom, we your bride, come with me. Come away, my beloved. Come away, my beloved. Song of Solomon, the center of the Bible. Run with me. Run, my love, my beloved, my fair one. I see no spot in you. Run with me. Run with me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.